Hi, everyone, and welcome to a very exciting, uh, I don't know if I want to say barbaric, I don't know, um, but definitely exciting edition of Words, Images, and Worlds. So glad on this episode to be talking with author, creator, Jim's up. Jim, thank you for jumping in. Thank you for having me. I uh, I really appreciate it. It's very nice to meet you. My pleasure. Nice to meet you as well. I will mention just a, a few titles, um, sure. the most recent of which is, is not Street Fighter, but Street Fighter is back there. Um, <laughs> yeah. It is uh, one of your earlier titles. You've also created in the worlds of the Avengers, the Thunderbolts, and most recently, the world's most famous, arguably most famous barbarian, and that is yes. Conan. Yeah, Conan the Barbarian, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, uh, mm -hmm. done some Rick and Morty, mm -hmm. um, Black Panther, Iron Man, a little bit of Batman, um, all kinds of lots and lots of Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's been a joy. And then my own original creator own books as well, which I'm really, really proud of. And, and none of this stuff would have happened without, like, uh, if I hadn't done my own original works to sort of establish myself in, in, you know, comics and get my stuff out there none of the other projects would have would have come about so yeah wonderful journey and you were mentioning that there's an entire shelf behind you that is yeah. it, it contains your work so there's there's yeah. no way i could mention them all but that's very impressive no. yeah it's crazy so it's like these yeah these this whole bookshelf from floor to you know ceiling i guess on camera there is yeah. all my books which is really weird uh the first time you sort of start filling up a shelf and you're like, man, I have half a shelf worth of books or, oh man, this is so crazy. Mm -hmm. And then uh, between foreign editions and reprints and omnibuses and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It depends on how you measure it because, you know, things get, you do single issues and then you do trade paperbacks and all that kind of stuff. I've arguably done somewhere around 70 graphic novels. I've, I've written over 8,000 pages of comics over the last bunch of years yeah yeah it's been amazing it's been a really cool uh journey and i'm really really proud of the work and and still doing it uh working on some of my favorite things so it's a it's a joy yeah 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 well i'm curious as you reflect on that shelf uh what comics has allowed you to do creatively that that maybe you wouldn't necessarily get to do in another medium right i mean the type of collaboration you get to do in comics i is my you know, it's my preferred medium, obviously. It's what I love to do. I love working with the art team. I've got a background in art. So I started in art and animation as an artist. And I still teach at an art college here in Toronto. Um, and that process of, of building both the visuals and the, the words with someone, with the team, putting together a vision for it, putting together those pages and the interplay of words and pictures is, is so unique and so potent. And I, I still, you know, love it to pieces. I love that process. And so you get that kind of visual bang uh, of, that some other mediums have, but we can do it with a much tighter knit kind of crew. It's mm -hmm. almost like every one of these little productions is a, is a little indie film crew and we're, you know, guerrilla filmmaking, you know, on the page. Like it feels like every single time you get this really tight knit group. And when it works, when you've got the right artist, you know, and the right, colorist and the right letterer and and the words are all kind of singing together it's amazing how much kind of harmony can kind of happen on the page and how you can enhance each other's work um in animation we would call it plussing that at each stage of development and design and storyboarding and animation and and 
post-production and editing and sound and all that stuff, you're adding more, you're making it better, you're making it clearer. And uh, with comics, it's like a really tight-knit version of that. And it's something that I really, really enjoy about the medium. And when you're working with people that inspire you, you know, you don't want to fail them. You want to step up and deliver your best every single time. Yeah, I love what you said there about guerrilla filmmaking on the page too. Love yeah, that. yeah. That's what's so great about it. It's a really small, tight-knit crew. Even even some of the comic kind of event stuff I've done, when you get right down to it, you're talking about usually, you know, less than 10 people, sometimes as little as two or three, you know, working on a particular project together. Mm-hmm. And so it's tight-knit. You get to know each other. You get to to figure out what each other's strengths are and and what you're capable of and and how to maximize the kind of impact of that on every page and in every story as much as possible. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you mentioned some creator owned work that you've done and I'm curious mm-hmm. about the titles, the types of stories that you're really drawn sure. to tell. I'm really yeah. known for sword and sorcery writing now. And all of that stems from a book that I did in 2010. Uh, but the first book I ever did was a, a web comic this is like something that I serialized online. I was working in the animation industry at the time and it was like a, a hobby for me in the evenings. I would post usually three pages a week, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I would post up a um, a new page of this little story called The Makeshift Miracle. Mm-hmm. And it was this surreal kind of coming of age story. A lot of the, the web comics at the time were very much in this kind of comic strip sort of comedy mold. Some of them would do more kind of slice of life stuff, but it was always about like, very much in that newspaper gag strip kind of format. Like there was always a punchline and, and, and thing like that. And I was sort of doing a more dramatic story um, that I was trying to tell. And I had a distinct ending in mind and that I was building towards. And so that was a really great way for me to learn about how the medium worked mm-hmm. and kind of at the time, you know, kind of sh- shortcut around all the hassles and the frustrations of trying to get a publisher or figure out how, you know, book publishing worked. I could just have my own website and post up pages and people could uh, find it. Uh At first I was just posting them, hoping that friends and family would read it. And then eventually it sort of spread, you know, bit by bit and people were sharing it around and you start to meet other people in the, I guess at the time, the web comics kind of industry, if you wanted to call it that none of us were really making money and we didn't know what we were doing, but we were kind of scrappy and, and do it yourselfing our way through, you know, the industry Uh and bit by bit learning more and more about how comics worked and business and conventions and all that kind of stuff. And eventually um, I would go on to work at an art studio called Udon. They do all sorts of publishing and things now, but they've made a bunch of comics over the years, including the Street Fighter stuff, like you mentioned earlier. I learned a ton through that studio, how to do you know professional art illustration, working with clients on comic books and advertising art and video game concept art and movie uh, concept art, all sorts of amazing stuff like that. And um eventually uh, got some really good grounding in that kind of experience and and would carry that forward to getting back to my own original concepts. So I worked with an amazing artist named Chris Stevens and another artist named Edwin Huang, a colorist named Misty Coates and our amazing intrepid letterer, Marshall Dillon. And we made a um, action comedy uh, fantasy book called Skull Kickers. And that <laughs> launched in 2010 and that changed my life because it it kind of put me on the map with people. Image Comics was going through this kind of cool renaissance of the Walking Dead TV show was in development. And it was like, oh, indie comics and creator-owned comics are kind of hot again. 
and we were putting out this really, you know, in a market where there weren't a lot of fantasy books, we were putting out a fantasy book and where there weren't a lot of humor books, we were doing this kind of, you know, slapstick uh, comedy kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And we built up our own little fun readership and people looked at me as a writer for the first time in a long time that I was, wasn't just this guy working at this art studio or this guy at conventions, I was making stories and I was working with, you know, some amazing people. And that kind of got me on people's radar. Like, Oh, Jim tells good stories. Oh, Jim's organized. He's a good person to work with. And that would spin off. It took a little while. It always does. But um, that would spin off into other, you know, opportunities to write on other people's stuff. Eventually uh, this comic called Pathfinder based on the tabletop role-playing game. Uh I would do uh, a Red Sonja special. Um, I would end up doing just all kinds of of different things. I got to do my first sort of project over at DC Comics. Um, And then as I was slowly building up those credits, uh, I was doing more and more of my own original stuff as well. I worked with a good friend of mine, Stephen Cummings, and we made a book called Wayward, which was this kind of teen drama um, supernatural story set in Tokyo. Uh-huh. And that one leveled me up again, uh, got me on a lot more people's kind of radar, had a regular readership really build up for that book. And that was sort of the breakthrough. After 2014, I started to get pretty regular work, whether it was at Marvel or with companies like IDW or... Um, you know, obviously I was doing more writing stuff at Udon and just, just at that point it was like, oh, this is a viable career. Like I can actually do this on a regular basis and, and get to work on these really cool properties that, that I grew up with or stuff that I've always wanted to kind of explore. Yeah. Love the journey. Love it. And um, that brings us to your current work with the Sumerian. Mm-hmm. So I'm yes. curious about what that's been like to get to work on. Um, it's surreal in a lot of ways. I have been kind of <clears throat> intertwined with Conan stuff for so long. Uh, obviously grew up uh, reading the Marvel comics and seeing the original Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Loved reading the original uh, Robert E. Howard stories and, and you know, in the short stories from the pulps. But that stuff is really kind of in my blood. And you could see that in things like Skull Kickers, even though it was a comedy book, we definitely had kind of that fantasy ridiculous edge it had dungeons and dragons in it it had that conan the barbarian kind of feel to it um Mm -hmm. and so one of my first professional gigs in the industry was actually recoloring some of the reprints for conan for dark horse uh which was a really fun kind of project this is like 2003 like before any of my writing credit stuff um so it was funny that one of my first published credits is as a colorist and now, you know, I'm I'm linked to, I'm writing the flagship book for Conan the Barbarian. Uh, I'm the only person currently who's written the character at three different publishers. So I wrote some Conan at Dark Horse, mm-hmm. uh, not very much, but a little bit there. I've written the character at Marvel and now I'm writing it, you know, uh, under this new imprint under Heroic Signatures, which is the actual rights holders of Conan the Barbarian. And it's being printed by uh, Titan which has been really, really cool. And so Conan's kind of been, yeah, been a part of my life for quite a while, but now this new publishing initiative, we just launched in August. Mm-hmm. The rights holders wanted to do their own kind of publishing. They didn't want to have any more kind of licensing deals. They wanted to control the sort of future and fate of the character. There have been Conan the Barbarian comics being published for 50 years now, and they mm-hmm. felt like they could chart their own path in a much more direct manner. 
and they liked the work that I did over at Marvel. They felt like I had a good voice for the Sumerian and, and his world and had some really cool ideas. And so we put together this very ambitious publishing plan and uh, launched over the summer. And the response has been explosive. It's been absolutely amazing. One of the biggest, one of the craziest projects uh, I've ever been a part of. And the fan response has been unbelievable honestly it's weird because like i said i've written other conan stories before and the response was fine people liked it but this new series man oh man the teams that i get to work with um artistically are phenomenal uh getting to work directly with the rights holders and and build this thing out over a longer you know period has been just awesome Mm -hmm. we've got great support editorially you know our publisher is amazing our our creative team is amazing. Uh, this artist, Rob De La Torre, who mm-hmm. I just finished up the first arc with, and colorist Dean White, they have done an absolutely phenomenal job at kind of taking the best traits of the past, uh, the kind of highlights of what made those comics such a big hit in the 70s, and brought it to you know the present with a lot of fidelity and a lot of intensity. Mm-hmm. And then the second story arc that literally kicks off uh, this week when we're recording it, that is being drawn by this amazing artist I've always wanted to work with. His name's Doug Braithwaite, uh-huh. and our colorist Diego Rodriguez. And they're bringing, again, this really beautiful classic look that feels like the pulps, but like tuned up to 11. We get to do kind of this unfettered, unleashed version of Conan, which is distinctly R-rated if this was a movie, but mm-hmm. also uh, very much in line with kind of the original source material, expanding upon that mythic structure and just really going to town with it. And the readership, uh, both the long you know, fans of Conan that have been with the character for decades or uh, brand new people jumping on board because they've heard it's a good thing, they're, they're really, really responding to it. And that is what is most you know exciting for me and most... Um, yeah, just just such a joy is to realize that we've been able to kind of capture uh, this energy that people love about the character and bring them this version of the character that I feel like is is timeless and really, really cool and doesn't have to be, you know, something from the woeful past. It's like, no, this thing is vibrant and awesome uh-huh. and well uh-huh. worth following in the here and now. So, yeah, it's been amazing. Yeah, yeah, and I'll just uh, tip off a, a wonderful setup in the first issue for that first arc, and I believe it's Richard Starkings. Uh, yeah, so craft. Rich Starkings. Is, yeah, I mean he's an he's an award winning legend in the industry. Uh, I've never had a chance to work with him on a project before, and he is bringing this classic flair to all of our lettering and a, and and making it feel again like it stepped out of the seventies, but the best kind of traits of it with the fidelity of printing and color that we can get here in in you know the 2020s mm-hmm. um and richard's awesome he is like so he has been associated with conan lettering for god since the the dark horse run mm-hmm. and uh he is such a big fan of the character and i was actually a little bit intimidated to have him on the team because he's been such uh a legend in the industry and man that guy is so supportive and so kind and so gung-ho we've jumped on calls together and he is just like a big kid he is such an amazing (laughs) guy i had uh this incredible interaction with him at san diego this year we were doing our kind of pre-launch we had early copies of the book at san diego that people could buy and i'd never met richard in person and we had just the most delightful conversation he was just so supportive and complimentary of our team and 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 that feeling of a team that he feels like you know we're just this really cool kind of creative family you know with this 
really special character like 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 you said probably the most famous arguably the most famous sword and sorcery character in the world Uh um you know i've said it before but like the superman of sword and sorcery he is the template on which people have built the genre he is the template whether or not you you like or don't like conan the barbarian a lot of your creative choices when it comes to sword and sorcery are either playing into some of those concepts those stereotypes or Uh being built to contrast against them do you know what i mean like but but you have to address it it's like tolkien it's it's one of those intrinsic kind of elements that make up fantasy the difference being that tolkien i feel like you know they call it high fantasy Mm -hmm. so you've got this very colorful very magical kind of world you've got these big spanning um you know like like that magic is much more kind of at the heart of of where this adventure comes from and in the world of conan it's a much darker low fantasy if you want to call it that it's Mm -hmm. like survivalist it's mysterious it's strange magic is not something you can know it's something that's going to destroy you you know yeah, uh, yeah. conan doesn't need to have understand the grand movements of gods and and demons and beasts the world is sort of happening around him and he has to survive uh at every step of it and that's yeah. just feels so cool to me and feels so exciting and uh being able to bring that to people and kind of go look this is what's so cool about this character and uh we're going to give it to you every single month and you know earn our, earn the cover price yeah. Yeah. And it absolutely does. Absolutely. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I usually ask about creative directions moving forward. So I know we have um, the next part of the Conan run coming, you said this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So each uh, arc that we're putting together in the first year is four issues. So mm-hmm. we've got three uh, stories that we're telling in the first 12. Um, and each one is linked together thematically. Once readers read issue five they're going to realize what the tethers are to the first arc first arc is called bound in blackstone and we're not just we're we're doing real classic ingredients of a conan story there's obviously a huge threat and there are there's evil afoot and he's got to fight this i guess you could call almost like a zombie army (laughs) there's you know new characters being introduced we've got this hunter scout named brissa and the two of them uh you know have a bond as they're trying to figure out how they're going to defeat this what they call the tribe of the lost this um picked tribe that has been corrupted by some mysterious evil from you know who knows where i know where but you guys don't (laughs) until you read the story and um above and beyond that we're also trying to bring in these tethers and these cool ideas of this broader mythic structure you know robert e howard wrote depending on how you measure it there's fragments and things like that there's basically 21 canon conan stories Uh published at different times um and then there's a series of, of you know, he's written, he wrote over 300 pulp stories. Some of them are horror, some of them are Western, some of them are, are mysteries and, and all kinds of different stuff, noir tales and things like that. But a bunch of them have really interesting little carryovers. Sometimes he'll reuse a word or a symbol or a concept. Um, you know, Call the Conqueror was first a prototype character who is the first Conan story was actually originally supposed to be a cult story that ended up being changed and, and transformed before it got published. And then eventually um, Robert E. Howard decided that Cull came from an earlier part of the same history that links to Conan's Hyborian age. Mm-hmm. And so this kind of broader world building 
this mythic structure has always kind of bubbled underneath the surface of a bunch of the Robert E. Howard stories. And um, when Roy Thomas was writing the comics in the 70s, his solution to it was to take almost every single Robert E. Howard story. And if it had anything even remotely, you know, with a singular hero or any kind of fantasy of sword and sorcery element, just to make it a Conan story, just file the serial numbers off and go, okay, that's this other kid's Bran McMorn. Now it's a Conan story or it's, you know, this horror tale. Well, now it's a Conan story. Uh -huh. And what we're doing with the, the heroic signatures approach is we're saying, no, no, all those stories exist in their own time, but they're part of this broader kind of mythic universe that these things all are linked together. And one of those is from, uh, for lack of a better term, like a, like an eldritch horror story that Robert E. Howard put together called the black stone. And it's uh -huh. this cool, creepy, mysterious material that is able to contact some other realm or some eldritch gods or whatever may have you uh -huh. and uh we're using that now in the conan tales but rather than just taking the original black stone story and transposing it to the hyborian age we're kind of building it up through conan's history or we're attaching him to these broader kind of pulp milieu elements and that's been really fun uh yeah not like not just trying to adapt what exists but trying to extrapolate beyond it and to go okay this really cool pulp kind of mythos is here what can we do to link these together more tightly or how can we make this dramatically satisfying and what kind of mysteries can we sprinkle into this story that we can pay off five six ten twelve months down the road uh -huh. so that readers are engaged and excited in ways that um, you know they may not have been before. It, one of the difficulties when you have such well-known material is that, like every single Conan story and almost you know every single iconic Robert E. Howard story has already been adapted in comics. Uh, and so I didn't just want to do, hey, here's the Tower of the Elephant for the fourth or fifth time, uh -huh, you know, uh -huh. in a comic book form. It's an amazing story. I love that story. But um, how can we take that broader material? and kind of do something else with it or surprise you with those ingredients. The Tower of the Elephant still exists and God in the Bowl still exists and the Frost Giant's Daughter. Those stories are part of Conan's history, but that time in between, we can explore and we can do really cool things with it. And that's kind of been a, a, a challenge and a joy because yeah. I'm not just trying to, um, we're not being a cover band, you know, we're not just playing the hits. We're trying to make music that feels like your favorite kind of thing about about you know the character and about the world but but still be able to surprise you from month to month and story to story yeah uh, well very cool to hear about how you're pulling those threads together and uh, making what works about the character just ring true in, in new ways so i appreciate that Thanks. yeah a, a great approach and uh, my final official question is where can folks learn more oh i mean that's really easy Obviously, uh, Titan Comics is our publisher, so you can go to Titan to find out all about the comic stuff and the Conan stuff. On my personal front, everything's at jimzub.com. So I just have uh, a website I've had for a long, long time, and it is a blog archive of all my thoughts on what's going on. You can sign up for a newsletter I send out usually weekly with announcements of projects, tutorials and analysis of my work, articles that I'm really enjoying about fiction about video games about tabletop gaming or or the comic book industry sometimes recipes and things that i like to cook you can keep track of all that stuff there 
Um, and then I've also got a series of over 40 free articles about what it's like working in comics, how to pitch your own stories to a publisher, how to find and work with an artist, what an editor does, what publishers are looking for and why. All the things that I wished I had known when I was getting started, um, uh -huh. because I've got this teaching background, I, I tend to codify stuff. So as I learn something, I'm like, oh man, I got to put this down so that I better understand it. And uh, now it's a free resource for anyone to sort of dig through and uh, and learn from it. And the vast majority of it is still very, very relevant to the industry as it is, and is pretty timeless in terms of how to organize your thoughts and structure it so that a publisher can get an idea of, of what your story is and where you're going with it. Fantastic. Well, well, great resources to share. And I know you're a busy person. I appreciate your time. Did we miss anything that you want to make sure to mention before we close? Um, I've got other, you know, projects on the go right now. I've got a brand new Dungeons and Dragons miniseries called Fortune Finder that just started up and I'm really excited about. Um, I think that's all the stuff I can talk about right now for <laughs> new projects. But if you go to my site, I've got a big archive of books that you can dig through, whether that is, you know, my sword and sorcery stuff or superheroes or my creator own books. Um, and and uh, next year, I'm going to have a, a pretty aggressive travel schedule. So I will be at a bunch of different conventions in North America and abroad. So again, if you're on my website, you'll see those announcements. And if you want to meet me or get books signed or stuff like that, it is an absolute pleasure to meet people on the road and to chat comics with them. Uh, I just did New York Comic Con, you know, just a month and a half ago mm -hmm. and getting to meet people who have been reading the Conan books and their excitement, you know, it, it really does recharge my creative batteries and reminds me why I do this stuff. So uh, it is a, it's a joy. Awesome. Awesome. Well, a joy to talk with you and glad to have you back anytime and looking forward to much more to come. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you.